Good to see everyone this evening. Tonight we're going to look in our third week at this brief series called Come and See. Come and See. It's a series in which we are looking at followers of Jesus who are inviting seekers and skeptics into a transformational encounter with Jesus. Seekers and skeptics, those who are leaning in, kicking the tires on Jesus. Jesus' disciples are inviting them into a transformational encounter with him. And tonight we're going to see a community that's been transformed by Jesus and what it looks like to be a community that invites others in to experience him as well. So at this time, if you've got a handout, that's where our scripture passage will be. It's not going to be on the screen. I invite you to mark it up, underline, highlight something that stands out to you. At the end of our teaching time this evening, there's going to be a brief time where I want to hear back from you. We had a great time last week hearing some great insights and invitations from the Lord because the person with the microphone is not the only one with the Holy Spirit that can understand what God is up to in our neighborhood. So, at the end of this time, I would love to hear some question that's left unanswered, some thoughts, some reflection. If you could share that at the end of our time here, I'd love to hear from you. Let's look at Acts chapter 11, beginning in verse 19. This is where we're going to spend the remainder of our time this evening. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed, they traveled as far as Phoenicia... Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the what? The good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. So news of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to keep on trucking. Oh, sorry. Encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea, which is the region around Jerusalem. This they did sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. This is the word of God for the people of God, and we say, thanks be to God. Well, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever walked into a room full of people, and you've just been able to read the room? Let me put it another way. You just walk into a room, and you just 
feel the vibe. Y'all vibing with what I'm saying? Y'all hip to the lingo of the cool kids today? How many of you have walked into some meeting and within like six milliseconds, you're like, oh, crud, it's that kind of meeting. And you, they haven't said anything. You just know, right? How many of you have walked into a party and you do a quick scan of the room, you know, feeling good, feeling good, and then about eight milliseconds later, even for extroverts like myself, you realize you don't know anybody and that's horrifying. And you begin to just have this sense that everybody's staring at you and you're like this outsider and it's really difficult. You just kind of read this, yes? How many of you have visited your Catholic brothers and sisters, grandparents, friends, and you walk into their sanctuary and there's just this thing that overwhelms you. They're like, I need to whisper in here. I, I, yeah, this is not like the neighborhood church where y'all are all running around like crazy people before church. There's just something about the room. There's something about the people. There's this reverence. I think about when Amy and I, when we were dating, we went to a restaurant and it was in the Park Cities. So this is North Dallas. This was high tone. I don't know how I scraped up some money to do this. I was trying to impress her because we weren't married yet. And so we're in this restaurant, and then we're done. And so we start to walk around this neighborhood, and we're window shopping. And we walk into a big store, and we are six feet inside when we realize, oh, this is not our kind of store. And it was like a pretty woman moment because the shopkeepers are like not even acknowledging us. They're not saying hello to us. And so I walk over to a t-shirt and I say, where's the price tag? And Amy goes, it's the kind of store where people don't look at price tags because they aren't checking their mobile app for the banking statement to see how much money you have so you can take me to dinner. It's not your kind of place. And I don't know why she married me, but she still did. But in that moment, we realized we could just read the room and this was something that was not for us. So these are all kind of sort of negative connotations. Have you ever walked into some meeting, some church prayer gathering, some worship gathering, where you just sense on the flip side, God is in our midst? You know, the scriptures talk about how God inhabits the praise of his people. Tomorrow is Pentecost Sunday, 50 days after Easter Sunday, where we look back and see and remember what happened on Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit descended upon a room full of praying people, waiting for the promise of Jesus, that the Holy Spirit would come upon them, just as he said, and it would give them power, and he would be there, and they would be their witnesses in all of this region beginning from that place where they were, Jerusalem, to work out into Judea, which was the holiest state they could think of, and as well as Samaria, which was the most unholy state they could think of. So really they said, you'll be witnesses in Dallas and also like Texas, hear me Sid, and the unholy Oklahoma. You're going to spread out, and then it says you're even going to work out to the ends of the earth. Because of the Holy Spirit. Not because they went and got PhDs and they got it all figured out. In, in fact, it was quite the opposite. They were unskilled, untrained, but they were filled to the brim with this otherworldly, supernatural power that all of a sudden was breaking in to earth. And you see this outworking of the Holy Spirit. And so two weeks ago, we saw, before this day of Pentecost, disciples inviting other disciples to say, you got to come and see this person, Jesus. And then last week, on the other side of Pentecost, we see the Holy Spirit moving Philip, who was a deacon-turned-evangelist, on the road to find someone who was an outsider not a day before 
All of a sudden, this Ethiopian eunuch, the first non-Jewish convert in the book of Acts, was a black, asexual African. And the Holy Spirit is still on the move, resonating down through the centuries from what happened at Pentecost. And he's in the midst of communities like Antioch, like the neighborhood church, today at work. And so the question for us this evening in our third week of come and see is this. Can others come and see what the grace of God has done in our church? You see, it started that Pentecost day in Jerusalem, and then it fanned out. How was it fanned out? One of the reasons I just spoke of, the Holy Spirit was directing these people to be a matchmaker, to go and talk to the people they wouldn't ordinarily talk to. Hello? Don't be hanging with the Holy Spirit because he's going to send you to the people your parents warned you about. He's going to send our students to places like our calling and our people to Austin Street to rub elbows with the kinds of people Jesus would hang out with and we probably wouldn't ordinarily choose to. The Holy Spirit is directing people, but also, you know another way they got to the ends of the earth in Judea and Samaria? We just read it. It's on your handout. At the very beginning, after what? Persecution. We have this Holy Spirit directing people and then not wasting the persecution of his people. It's like he stamped the air mattress, poof, and then it just puffs up over here and it sends these people flying. And they go to this little town that wasn't actually so little, just north of Jerusalem, called Antioch. So the church started in Jerusalem, persecution happens, the Holy Spirit is playing matchmaker, and then the third largest city in the Roman Empire called Antioch, this cosmopolitan, happening, multicultural, multi-ethnic, multi-religious city, all of a sudden some Christians wind up there. Some disciples of Jesus wind up there, you with me? And they start to speak to some Jewish folks, because some Jews had spread out that far as well. But then some others started to talk to who? The Greeks also. Hold on to that. But that's important because the Jerusalem church catches wind of this new community that's made up of both Jews, hello, and Greeks. And this was a very interesting controversy that has taken shape in the chapter right before ours in Acts chapter 10 in the first part of 11. There's this controversy because all of a sudden, as they scatter, look what happens. All these unwashed, crazy, who knows what people are starting to develop these communities of Jesus. So the Jerusalem church gets wind of it, and they send a man named Barnabas to go check it out. So Barnabas, who we're told is a good man, full of the Holy Spirit... What else does he say? I don't have it in front of me. What else does Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, tell us about Barnabas? I'll tell you that we're introduced to him earlier in the book, and it's a nickname, Barnabas, for son of encouragement. So what was he doing? He encouraged them, right? He was glad, right? If you're going to get a business card mention in the Bible, I think full of the Holy Spirit and faith, that was another one, right? Being an encourager, That's some pretty good skins on the wall. You with me? So they didn't send no slouch up to Antioch. 
They sent this top-notch dude to check it out and say, is this kind of mixing of peoples, and are they really knowing Jesus? I mean, I can't email them or text them. I can't listen to their podcast. So they send Barnabas, and you know what he did? He saw what the grace of God had done in this church. It's a way of saying, yes, this is the Holy Spirit in action. Bringing people from death to life and uniting them for a kingdom mission. So the question for us, can others like a Barnabas or a visitor or a homeless friend of ours connected to our church or a friend will pick up from the rock that we saw today at the clothes closet, 22 families of them, Will they be able to walk through these double doors and see what the grace of God has done? And then there's an invitation we're going to see tonight. Not only can they see this, but the invitation for us is to look like Antioch in the sense of a church in which the Holy Spirit is empowering us to be a church that bears the unmistakable fingerprints of Jesus. Can y'all say that phrase with me? The unmistakable fingerprints of Jesus. That just stuck with me. I love that. To, the, to bear the unmistakable fingerprints of Jesus. When Barnabas went up to Antioch, he saw this community. He saw that God was at work in them. But it wasn't just Barnabas who saw it. Did y'all catch that little side note verse in the middle of that passage? They were first called Christians in Antioch. There's reason to believe that it wasn't Barnabas that said, I shall dub thee Christians. Trademark. There's a sense in which the community at large, the city of Antioch, this enormous Roman city with all different kinds of kings, all different kinds of rulers, all different kinds of gods, saw as well what Barnabas did, a community that was looking different and unusual, so unusual they had to invent a word for them. This was common practice. It's like a sarcastic way of saying, yeah, they're those like CrossFit people. Or they're those vegan people. They're those neat freak people. They're those like, shoot, when I was in the 90s, we had skaters and ropers. And who else, Cameron? Because you said skaters the other day totally unironically, didn't you? He was like, we need to like reach all the outsiders like the skaters. And I died laughing. I said, is it 1996 at Austin Middle School in Garland, Texas, when we were rolling with skaters? What's the names of people we give to them? It's almost always what? Sarcastic, but also always a little bit true? They had to invent a word. And they took the Greek word because they were mostly Greek speaking. And that Greek word was Christ which was a translation of the Hebrew word, what? Messiah, which is the word anointed king. How cool is it that even in their sarcasm, they called this group of people the king's people because they looked and prayed and blessed and loved and lived and served and welcomed like Jesus the Christ from Nazareth. 
Barnabas saw this. Can they see it in us? Because the reality is the Holy Spirit that descended upon those same people is still active and at work in us today. And he is empowering us to be a church that, like Antioch, bears the unmistakable fingerprints of Jesus. What did it look like in Antioch? I think it looked like this. The Antioch church realized that power that was in the Holy Spirit. So the Antioch church leaned on the Holy Spirit to become a culture-crossing, disciple-making, and resource-sharing community that could only be known as Christians. Our churches should look different than a social club. Our churches should look different than nonprofits doing good work that may not be kingdom work. Our churches should look different than the segregated places that we huddle up and call church. Our Christians should look different than the judgmental, Facebook-posting, slacktivist, greedy, lewd, bullying people that they've come to be known as in this country. We need to redefine this name, and we need to re-embrace the power of the Holy Spirit who is looking to partner with us to do what only He can do. It's up to us to do what we can in order to pay attention and respond so that he can do what we can't. And that is to see the release of the kingdom even in our neighborhood. Why we do the neighborhood clothes closet is because we believe we can partner with God to bring a little bit of what it looks like in the kingdom onto earth in our streets and into our neighborhood. And it's that first piece that we see as well in this Antioch church. It's a way in which a, ma- a dominantly majority by a mile white church can try to be present to cross some cultures in one of the, my, in, in one of the most diverse cities in Texas. My daughter goes to school and it's 87% Hispanic. And her church isn't. You go to work in places that look a lot like the sitcom on NBC now. Everybody's represented. But not our church. And here's the trick. If there's a formula, I haven't found it. I think there are some steps that we can take. And I think the first one we see in these unnamed evangelists at the beginning of this text, those who planted the Antioch church, We're part of one stream that said, I don't know, I'm going to go talk to these Greeks. You think they need Jesus? I mean, I guess. I mean, I speak Greek. Do you speak Greek? Yeah. So, so like, Jesus, didn't he say all nations? These Greeks, they're they're all nations, right? This is a different place. This is, like, kind of like like Syria. Okay, yeah. Jesus is here, too. They spoke to the Greeks also, and you had this divergent course where they did what is so natural to all of us, and they spoke to the people who looked like them and sounded like them. Some spoke to the Jews also, right? 
They just spoke to the Jews. That's the natural thing to do, and it's a good thing to do. It's a good thing to speak to those who are like you and you can talk about Netflix with and be friends with and steward the spheres of influence and relationships you already have. Amen, glory, hallelujah. That's what we talk about 90% of the time in this church. But you know it's a kingdom, Holy Spirit initiated, leaning on the Holy Spirit kind of thing. When you step out into faith and you say, you know what, this is new territory, but would, would, would you walk it with me, Holy Spirit? There's an African-American pastor that's really blessed me in the last couple of years. He planted a church in Monrovia, California, and he told me a story at a conference a couple years ago that I just still couldn't shake. And he was at a seminary class, and part of this training was to go and do some evangelizing, and he was connected to this other local church, and so they were going door-to-door, and they had this flyer, and I'm probably getting some of the details wrong, But ultimately, he winds up at all these different doors, and they're supposed to give a flyer to these people and talk to them about Jesus, except for this person who is instructed by some of his classmates when they were kind of debriefing that if they answered the door to behold an African-American person, then they can give him the phone number of the black pastor down the road. Because how could a white person speak to a black person? How could a Texan speak to a second-generation Mexican that we all grew up with and went to high school with? Because they need the Mexican gospel and the black gospel. Are you hearing me? (laughs) If there is a formula, I haven't found it. But what I have seen is some willingness to lean on the Holy Spirit and have first a posture that says, would we really try to be a church in the neighborhood, for the neighborhood, and by God's grace, and you're the best we got, Holy Spirit, to one day reflect the neighborhood. Not because it's some pet vision that's awesome and fun and cool, and I can go to my pastor friends I have lunch with once a month and say, well, look how multi-ethnic we have. Look at us. We got a black. Doesn't that sound ridiculous? It also sounds ridiculous of a church I know in the area that hired a guy and called a minister to Hispanics. Because at some level, we have to recognize this whiteness of ours that can only be overcome by leaning on the Holy Spirit. Not our wisdom, our ways of trying to do this or that. We've got to lean on the Holy Spirit because then we can love like Jesus that crosses cultures and boundaries And it teaches us to love and not label. Hello? I've heard some of the silliest things that pastors and churches talk about just because it's a hip thing to do. It's not just a hip thing to do. It's not just a pet vision. I believe it's a vision of the kingdom that's faithful to one of the most diverse cities in Texas in a neighborhood that really doesn't look like what we see in these walls. I did not intend to speak this baldly about it, but I just really want to, because I preached a long time last week, and this is stuff that's been on me for like a year, and I don't know how to do it, except to lean on the Holy Spirit, because you see those people that went and spoke to the Greeks also, they told them the good news about the Lord Jesus, and what does verse 21 said? The Lord's hand was what? With them. And I believe of these unnamed 
evangelists, what I believe to be true about us as we walk this journey together. And that's this. The closer you follow to Jesus, let me say it this way. When you follow Jesus closely, you begin to hold on to your preferences loosely. When you follow Jesus closely, you hold on to your preferences loosely. What I mean by that is we are operating in a kingdom of Dallas that is dominated by the gods of prejudice, preference, and consumerism. And we're trying to announce that there's another God who celebrates all that he has made. When we have the God of prejudice, we begin to have these unspoken distrusts of difference. And it's not just people, it's the way we practice our faith and the way we practice and live and eat and walk and work. We have these prejudices and we've got to name them. Because if we don't, that leads to preference and what that looks like is, you know what? My way is actually right. It's not just mine, it's right. Because you're different and it's weird, that prejudice leads me to believe that my preference is elevated over yours. There's an author in Chicago that wrote a book called White Awake. And he was led to write this book because he's pastoring this multi-ethnic community in a multi-ethnic large city called Chicago, just like Antioch. And he was speaking to his friend at a wedding and they were Indian. And he was observing all the beautiful like saris, the dress, the this, the traditions. And he says to his Indian friend, man, I wish I had a culture. And his friend spoke some Holy Spirit truth to him and says, friend, you do have a culture. The problem is your white culture overtakes every other culture it bumps up against and becomes the dominant culture. And I think there are some things that we need to surrender and name and lean into and say maybe how we do what we do needs to be held loosely. Because when we follow Jesus closely, like these unnamed evangelists that would plant the seeds to plant this multicultural church in Antioch, they followed Jesus closely and they began to form a community that had the unmistakable fingerprints of Jesus who welcomed all. But the problem is the Holy Spirit is at work and if you pay attention to him, he will ruin you about your prejudices and your preferences and your consumerism. Because if you hold those preferences so tightly, what begins to happen is when our communities begin to transition and it begins to step just a shade to the right or left as to what you believe and hold is right, that is not Jesus and the central things, what happens is you're gonna go down the road and find something that better suits your lifestyle and your preferences. And we can do this in the holiest ways, can't we? Because y'all are so sick of hearing me preach. I understand. That's a holy way. I'd be sick of me too. I'm saying we wanna bless you if you're called to go But I just want us to think about the reasons why we go. Why we go. That's all I'm trying to get at. Man, I'm really like, this is, none of this is written down, y'all. Just, it's happening tonight. I said like black and all this stuff. I mean, it's just, it's on. Okay. 
Your wife is preaching next week, Sid. What happens when you lean on the Holy Spirit, what happens when you follow Jesus closely and you hold your preferences loosely is you begin to see the Lord's hand moving unhindered because you surrendered what was hindering him before. You see, what, what I'm talking about in leaning on is the question you can ask is, well, what is it I'm leaning on? You know what you're leaning on because when it's removed, you fall. So if this is my preference and my pet theory and my pet way of following Jesus that's not my whole heart and my whole life, as soon as it goes, and it will because the Holy Spirit wants you to surrender and yield to him, as soon as that goes, you fall flat on your face because what you were leaning on was something other than the Holy Spirit. You know that you're leaning on the Holy Spirit when this stack of of, of health and finances and all of these other things, if they go, you're, you're still leaning and crying out to Jesus and running to Jesus. That's a good indicator you're leaning on Jesus. This is what Shauna was speaking to tonight. This is what Jackie was speaking to at the women's gathering last Saturday. Martha ran to Jesus when everything else fell and her brother died and she didn't know what to do even though she was frustrated and screaming and through tears crying out to God and making a public spectacle of calling out Jesus. She still was leaning on Jesus. And so here's the thing. We will get nowhere on this church if we are going to lean on anything else than Jesus. I wish I had a building. If I'm leaning on a building, as soon as it goes and we can't pay rent, what do we do? I'm leaning on Adam and Kathy and Bud and these leaders that cannot have a relationship with Jesus for you. You're going to find yourself, when we fail you, falling flat on your face, you've got to lean on the Spirit. And I don't know what that looks like other than to try to stay awake to Him and respond appropriately. And you begin to see incredible things and you recognize, oh wait, the Lord's hand is actually with us. And you see these crazy things where over and over, great numbers are being brought to the Lord. Great numbers are being taught. And great numbers are doing this. And great numbers are being blessed. And here's the thing. I don't want you to hear me say, I actually found a formula and we need a lot of people. So let's do this and let's get a lot of people. No, no, no. I believe what Aaron Stone wrote on our website that he's revamping. The very first thing on our homepage, we're still ironing it out. Um, check our website. He's doing some cool-looking things. But it says, we're a little church that does big things. And the first time I saw that, I was like, oh, we got to change that. Don't call us little. And I began to think of my grandfather, who's not here tonight, who at every family function goes around telling his daughters and my aunts and uncles, now that little old church that Adam pastors over there, let me tell you, they raised $4,000 in three weeks. Let me tell you about that little old church over there. They seen 400 people at this old clothes closet in this rundown building in Garland, Texas. God bless them. It's incredible. Man, that little old church, Adam prays a prayer, and it's beautiful, and these people are sweet. And I, and I was just like, oh, my gosh, Grandpa, I feel like I'm eight years old again going like, oh, man. But I realized, oh, man, what a beautiful thing. As if the Holy Spirit told me one day when he stood up and he's saying these kinds of things, I'm like, listen and celebrate that the Holy Spirit is at work and we're bearing the fingerprints of Jesus to be faithful with who we are and what we have as we follow Jesus together. 
So here's the thing. God loves this church more than I do. God loves this church more than you do. And hear this. God loves this church now as opposed to the six-month older and more mature and rocking and rolling neighborhood church down the line. He loves it right now and is rooting for it if we would pay attention and respond appropriately. Every day is an invitation. But I think it comes not just by crossing cultures, but by digging in and taking root and also making disciples. And it happens when the people we do have, we're rooting them deep in the good news and the good power of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. So you see what Barnabas did. After this multicultural church is planted, he sees the good work, he sees the grace of God, they're leaning on the Spirit, because you see a guy prophesying in the Spirit, if you circled all the spirits, you see that the Lord is with them, you see that, you know, they're teaching and they're doing these things, the Spirit, they're leaning, they're doing all the right things, but you know what Barnabas still did? He said, I gotta get some more help, and he remembered a guy that was just converted, who was brilliant and gifted, and so he takes a little jaunt across the bay to a city called Tarsus, and he says, dude, you've got to come and see the good things and the fingerprints of, do you know that they're calling them Christians? Isn't that bad, dude? They're calling us Christians. That's an awesome name, and he brings who? Paul, Saul. He sees this young man who is gifted, and he turns him loose for a long time to teach and preach and flourish. Here's what I think when we're talking about not just crossing cultures, but when we receive these new brothers and sisters, we need to understand that we learn the way of Jesus by watching the people of Jesus. You hear me? We learn the way of Jesus by watching the people of Jesus. How many of you learned to pray because you listened to people praying? How many of you learned to talk to people at the rock and new or non-Christians or seekers or skeptics because you happened to be around the table with somebody who started to talk with grace and truth and listen? How many of you have learned to read and understand God's word, the Bible, because you've heard it taught and dissected and you've sat across the table with someone? We learn the way of Jesus by watching the people of Jesus any more than your kids are learning how to make hamburger helper and, you know, kick the cat and do the things you do around the house. They learn by watching. We don't have a cat or hamburger helper, so I'm safe. We learn the way of Jesus by watching the people of Jesus. I read this and I love this because I see a Barnabas going to find somebody and turning him loose. Because that's what somebody did with me. Somebody said, you play guitar, get up here on a mic and, and, and try to go. You can kind of talk with a microphone, get up on a microphone and go. You want to learn how to be a pastor? Get in my truck and we'll show you. It's mostly about driving around and putting out fires and doing all the stuff that nobody else wants to do. And I said, that stinks. And they said, welcome to it. Here is your ordination. 
Do you know that when Pastor Larry and I from Freeman Heights, we always meet like at Home Depot or at The Rock, and he's like, and I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I'm changing light bulbs over here. He's like, yeah, I got to drop off this sack full of clothes uh, over here, and we're doing this. And we're like, yeah, nobody told me that ministry was just running errands and just running around all day. But that's what it is. You learn. And this is the same as true for new Christians, and it takes time. I also learned how to be a pastor because I came from another church that I love dearly, but I was just inhabiting some unhealthy rhythms of life and ministry. And I'll never forget what Pastor Bud said. One Monday we met and we were talking and dreaming and praying about me coming to this community. And he said, you're like a tree. And I said, oh, here we go. And he goes, you're like a tree that has some things that are starting to kind of blossom and bloom, but you're so drained, you're so running on empty that we need to take you and replant you into the sun and watch you grow and flourish again. And so it leads me to this question of what Barnabas did with Saul and what Saul was teaching to the other people in Antioch as they made disciples. The question is, is our community a healthy greenhouse for fruit-bearing branches to abide on the vine? This is some Christianese when Jesus says, remain in me and I in you, because apart from me, you can do nothing. This is another way of saying, who are we leaning on? Do what you can, meet with someone a few steps behind you in the faith, and walk with them, see how they bless you, but do it in such a way where you're observing and then giving them opportunities. Let them observe and then give them opportunities. I feel like we need to bring on another apprentice to help us in our journey to reflect our neighborhood. And I would love to bring on a man or a woman to observe how we do things and then give them opportunities to use their gifts to bless us. Because the third thing that the Antioch church did was not just cross cultures, didn't just make disciples, but they were sharing their resources and you know how this whole thing started? Because somebody was able to use their gifts and stood up and spoke a word from the Holy Spirit. That word there is prophecy. Now, I'm charismatic leaning, right? I don't, I don't kind of walk in a lot of those gifts, but I fully embrace every gift that we see because the Holy Spirit hasn't changed, Jesus hasn't changed, and there's just to me no biblical uh, argument that holds water that we should expect it to cease. And so what I see is this person speaking a word, not unlike some of you say in our meetings and in prayer, and then I see a community doing what? Discerning this word, and then you see this grassroots movement where the members of the Antioch church said, you know what, because our brothers and sisters a long way away are going to be affected, we've got to do something about it, which is another fingerprint of Jesus in two ways. Because they gave like Jesus gave, even until it hurt, I'm positive, because we see hints of Paul talking about it. Write down Galatians chapter 2. He speaks to the Galatians about, you know what, we received a word, and so we responded, and we sent a gift. And then you can look in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. He starts to talk about, hey, remember when you said you were going to help and give? Yeah, do it. Keep going. So he's probably asking them to give like Jesus did, sacrificially. And the second reason it bore the fingerprints of Jesus is because they embraced who Jesus embraced. Isn't it funny that the Jerusalem church was the epicenter and they went to send somebody to Antioch to see if Antioch was legit? 
And Antioch proved they were legit because they sent and blessed the ones who thought they would do all the blessing. Hello? Antioch gave to the brothers and sisters they've never seen, they've never met, they probably would never see or meet because they sent Barnabas and Saul to send it to their pastors. You know what? Another thing that my grandpa loves to talk about our little church that does big things. The orphans we prayed for and blessed and you need to still pray for. Our friends that are overseas, and I'll leave it at that. Our friends in Russia who's traveling to Kazan, please pray for him this weekend. Because many of you may never see these people face to face, but the kingdom of God is bigger than our preferences, our prejudice is. And the more we walk in that, the more we bear the unmistakable fingerprints of Jesus, would we, like they did, respond to the Holy Spirit, lean on him, and respond appropriately. So I want to close with a story in just a moment, but I want to just take a break, pause, and open up to some reflections, some questions, because I kind of went rogue, and uh, we're just going to talk, talk. Let me hear back from you. What did you circle or underline? Kelly said that the word preferences really resonated with her, whereas, you know, we don't name a lot of prejudices or the consumerism or other things. She says, the preferences for me, we all have preferences. We have to be aware of those things. And here's the thing, they're not innately wrong, are they? It's just part of who we are. You are the sum total of everything you've experienced and been taught and heard and learned. You are uniquely you, so it, it follows that you have unique preferences. But I think we need to just be aware of them, number one, and then see where, where there's maybe an action. Is there a step I need to take to let go or change? And then the third bit is, well, let me actually follow through, and that takes guts. Thanks, Kelly. Anything else? that I missed, that y'all highlighted, that was powerful in the text? What are you leaning on? Yeah, thank you, Robin. What are you leaning on? That's some questions for reflection you have there to take into your groups this Wednesday to reflect on in just a moment during our response time to maybe flip over and journal in the days ahead. What are you leaning on? That's been eating my lunch. Anything else? Before we close, I just am struck and I want to return to the image of walking into a room and having this sense that the temperature and the atmosphere is charged with the grace of God. There was something about what Barnabas saw that bore the, the marks and fingerprints of Jesus. And I was led to this story just before coming here this afternoon, and I'm so glad I found it because I would have been late. This is from this great book that's worth revisiting that our church walked through called 40 Days Living the Jesus Creed by Scott McKnight. It's a devotional book for 40 days, and in it he shares this story of how a room was transformed by the grace of God. So he speaks of his friend Don, who was uh, recovering from alcoholism, failed personal relationships and depression, she began to say, you know what, Holy Spirit, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to step out. I'm going to cross some cultures. And she's going to try to volunteer in the ER of a local Chicagoland hospital. And she writes this. In my years in the ER, I saw Jesus daily doing his kingdom work in and through a group of his followers. It was a true expression of the church. One day stands out beyond all the others and left me radically changed forever. 
It was the day I saw Jesus face to face. Don, can you lock down room 15? Yelled out my charge nurse as I crawled up to the nurse's station. Two security guards stood outside the room, biceps flexing like bouncers, anticipating a drunken brawl. My eyes rolled as I walked past them into the room to set up. The last lock clicked into place as the masked medics arrived with name. We'll just say name. Strapped and restrained to their cart. The hallway cleared with heads turned away in disgust at the smell surrounding them. They entered the room and I could see N with his feet hung over the edge of the cart covered with plastic bags tightly taped around the ankles because the smell was overpowering as they uncovered his swollen, mold-encrusted feet. After tucking him in and taking his vital signs, I left the room to tend to my other ten patients awaiting. Returning to the nurse's station, I overheard the other nurses and techs arguing over who would take N as their patient. In addition to the usual lab work and tests, the doctor had ordered a shower complete with betadine foot scrub, antibiotic ointment, and non-adherent wraps. So the charge nurse looked in my direction. Don, will you please take N? Please? You don't have to do the nasty foot scrub. Just give him the sponge in the shower. So I agreed and made my way to gather the supplies and waited for the security guard to open up the hazmat shower. And as I waited within, the numbness of my business was interrupted by an overwhelming sadness. I watched N, restless and mumbling incoherently to himself through his burly scruff of a beard and stash. His eyes were hidden behind his ratted curly shoulder-length mane. This poor shell of a man had no one to love him. I wondered about his past and what happened to bring him to this hopelessly empty place. No one in the ER that day really looked at him and no one wanted to touch him. They wanted to ignore him and his broken life. But as much as I tried, I could not. I was drawn to him. The smirking security guards helped me walk him to the shower as bits and crumbles of life on the street fell in a trail behind us. As we entered the shower, I set out the shampoo, soaps, and towels like it was a five-star hotel. I felt in my heart that for at least ten minutes, this forgotten man would be treated as a king. I thought for those ten minutes, he would see the love of Jesus. I set down the foot sponge and decided that I would do the gentle betadine foot scrub by myself as soon as the shower was finished. I called the stockroom for two large basins and a chair, and when N was finished in the shower, I pulled back the curtain and walked him to the throne of warmed blankets and the two basins set on the floor beside As I knelt at his feet, my heart broke and my stomach turned as I gently picked up his swollen, rotted feet. Most of his nails were black and curled over the top of his toes. The skin was rough, broken, and oozing pus. Tears streamed down my face while my gloved hands tenderly sponged the brown soap over his wounded feet. The room was quiet as the once- mocking security guards 
started to help by handing me towels. As I patted the last foot dry, I looked up and for the first time, N's eyes locked into mine. For that moment, he was alert, aware, and weeping as he quietly said, thank you. In that moment, I was the one seeing Jesus. He was there all along, right where he said he would be. So, Lord, we pray that you would, by your grace, inspire us and empower us by the Holy Spirit to go and do likewise, to cross whatever boundaries we've set up because you've broken them down, to go and make disciples of all peoples regardless of where they've come from because all that matters is they've come to you. And Holy Spirit, we pray that we would be led to give our time, our money, our love to those you send us. So we pray all this in the strong name of Jesus, our Christ, the King. Amen. Amen. For I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Go in peace.